Thank you for listening to Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. Buffalo What's Next is on summer break and we'll return with new content shortly. As we take this break, please continue to tune in to WBFO Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. and 9 p.m. for producer picks of some of our favorite episodes of Buffalo What's Next. How can we afford not to talk about race? About education. About segregation. About humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. If we're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. On today's episode of Buffalo What's Next, Summertime Producer Picks, we highlight two segments from previous shows. Jay Moran speaks with the director of the Buffalo Federation of Neighborhood Centers HOPE program, Daisy Bell. The two discuss her work with seniors from November 10th of last year. Then, we continue with Jay Moran as he speaks to the founder of the Eastside Ministry, Tisha Parker, from October 25th of last year. They discuss the ministry's outreach to the homeless and others in need. First, we revisit Jay Moran's conversation with Daisy Bell from November 10th of last year. Daisy, thanks for uh, joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, it was great. It's uh, uh, lots to talk about here. You've got a, a great story because, you know, you've been involved with uh, the BFNC in a couple of different ways. I want to talk about that a little later on. But let's first of all talk about uh, an element of this that you brought to my attention, that some time ago you did a, a, a survey mm-hmm. of senior, what the seniors wanted, mm-hmm. right? This is something that you did organically mm-hmm. and found out about your community. What was the response? Well, it wasn't as organic as we wanted it to okay. be. So basically uh, what was happening is that uh, funders were looking for more tangible outcomes than just tradi- traditional senior activities programs. So senior centers uh, were, you know, were typically, you know, a place for socialization where you could come, play bingo, uh, play cards, have lunch, things of that nature. And so um, funders were saying that's all well and good, but we don't see tangible outcomes on how really? this improves okay. improves wellness. And right. so um, we knew that we were going to have to shift in order to make sure that our center remained viable. And so with that being said, we also wanted to know what the seniors themselves wanted. We know what funders want, right? Okay. We need to be able to produce outcomes right. and results. But on top of that, we wanted to make sure that we provide what the seniors need. And so I don't profess to be an expert, at least at that time either, of what they needed. And I and so we asked the question. You know, we did several community meetings, um, open meetings with the seniors uh, to do surveys and, and say, okay, what are some of the things that you're looking for? And out of that, came housing was number one okay a hundred percent of participants that uh, 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 participated in the survey said that they needed uh, access to affordable housing uh, the next thing that came out 100 percent 100 percent. 100% of all seniors surveyed said housing is an issue okay. uh, the next uh, uh, component was access to transportation access to health care access to um, 
uh, food access of healthy and nutritious foods, which is a big one because most of the population that I had at the time at our center were type 2 diabetics. But mm. the food donations that we have come in and understand we love them, sure. but their stuff is not good for them. We get the rolls. We get the pastries. We get the donuts, all the stuff that's good, but again, is not going to help if you're a type 2 diabetic, sure. right? Um, and so uh, food access and, and, and veggies, uh, getting more fresh produce and vegetables for us was a, a big initiative. And then on top of that, uh, they wanted a place where they could come in community uh, to socialize that would be state of the art, you know, a, a senior center where they would have, you know, if they needed assistance with their activities for daily living, such as bathing or being able to do laundry, those kind of things, that they had a place that they could go where those things would be offered. And so we took all of that information and really, you know, sat at the table with a lot of community um, uh, organizations and, and partners and said, you know, this is the problem. How do we fix this? What can we do to address this concern? And so for our agency, that's how the BFNC Westminster Commons was born. I want to talk about the Westminster Commons, but I just one element of the mm -hmm. of the survey there that you talked about, the, like you said, the fresh mm -hmm produce and mm -hmm. such. And we've heard a lot about that since 514, haven't we? When mm -hmm. uh, you know, tops closed and all of a sudden uh, a, a major source mm -hmm. of that type of uh, product was not available to, to mm -hmm. folks. How did you, how did your organization address that need? How, what, what have you done? Been able, have you, I guess, have since you been successful? Since no, no, 514 No, no, even before that. Have you been successful in addressing that need? Oh, yeah. So okay. we were doing that work prior to 514. And please know, it was a tragedy in our community. And, you know, we were patrons of, of the TOPS on, on on Jefferson for years. We uh, th we shopped there for our senior programs. They sponsored a lot of the events that we did with so our you really, seniors. So you really felt the closure we as felt, much as anybody. Yeah. We felt it just as much as anyone else. And so... Um, but to say, you know, in terms of how we addressed it, out of that needs assessment, the first thing we did was talk with um, the Buffalo Niagara Medical um, Campus uh, and uh, some really great partners there. And they and they helped us uh, launch our grassroots garden, which was at the ah, Moot Center. Okay. We have 12 boxes. Uh, and this was, you know, pre-pandemic uh, where we had, you know, fresh produce and master gardeners that were coming. And we we you know, provided and supplemented uh, vegetables for our seniors in our lunches. But then on top of that, they had free produce to take home with them. You're able to produce that much. Yeah, 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 yeah. We had, and, and the crops were beautiful. We had greens, we had cucumbers, we had peppers of all kinds of varieties and tomatoes. Oh my gosh. You know, all these just wonderful uh, produce and the seniors loved it. You know, and not only were we able to supplement the nutrition program that we offered at the center, but seniors also were able to take vegetables home. So, and that, and that garden has been in existence for about four or five years now. So again, you know, we wanted to make sure that we were addressing that concern. The, another thing that we did is that we also uh, partnered with uh, uh, Urban Fruits and Veggies, um, Allison Dahoney and her crew, mm. uh, to provide uh, fresh fruits and vegetables uh, through the mobile market. We uh, The Massachusetts Avenue Project was also uh, one of the first markets that were launched at the Moot Center when the Moot was open. And, you know, we have been consistently doing that throughout. Um, now with our new location, Feed More Western New York, 
has been our partner to provide um, the seasonal farmers market. But then on top of that, we also have been working to secure grant funding to be able to fight to provide groceries uh, and fresh produce bags to seniors uh, through the winter months for 12 weeks. Uh, another program that we did during the pandemic was in partnership with the Journey Church of, of Buffalo, uh, Pastor Art Hall and his crew. And, uh, you know, they called me up when the pandemic first started and said, hey, we want to make sure that your seniors are able to get groceries. What can we do? And next thing I know, they set up the Groceries to Seniors Initiative. BFNC became a partner and we started doing uh, grocery bag deliveries to seniors with fruit, fresh fruits and vegetables and then a hot meal. And they got that every week during the pandemic. And now that program still exists. And it's uh, one delivery uh, uh, per month. And we're actually going to be doing the delivery next week. So uh, as you were talking there and the, the list kind of makes this, uh, I mm-hmm. think, an obvious answer. But I'll ask the question anyway. You said early on. Funders want to see results. Mm-hmm. They're pleased with the results. Yes, they're they're pleased with the results, but honestly, we can still do more. I mean, I've, it's sad that 514 brought this issue to the forefront, uh, but again, there's still much more that we can do. Now, what we've done since 514, we've created the You Matter Transportation Fund, and uh, through the You Matter Transportation Fund, we pr- we're providing cab rides to seniors to be able to get to the grocery store, and then I do van trips uh, through at the Westminster Building for uh, uh, senior groups to be able to go and do their shopping. And what we do is I don't limit it to just the grocery store, because okay. again, Seniors, uh, transportation they is do, a barrier. They want, they want to, so to, like everybody, we want to do we lots of things. Do, we want to, so what I try to do is that it's always majority rules because, you know, my, wow. seniors, okay. my seniors take me to task. So, you know, I, I bet they do. I don't want to make the decisions for them. So what we do is, uh, you know, I say, hey, this is the day we're going shopping. Where does everyone want to go? And it's majority rules. And okay. so the parameters are that, you know, it has to be within a 30 minute ride of our center. So that allows us to go to the first tier suburb. So we can go to the boulevard. We can go to to um, uh, uh, Southtown, Southgate Plaza. We can go to some places that offer a variety of shops and different things for people to do diverse things. And so, and that's what we've been doing. And the other part of it is, is providing access to other stores, right? Uh, The tops on on the boulevard on Maple is wonderful. And even though they've redone our tops on Jefferson and we're very thrilled for that, uh, it's still a a certain, it's size limited, right? There's only so much square footage. So at the bigger stores, there may be more options. And for me, options are important for our seniors. Um, Trader Joe's, some of our seniors have never been able to go to Trader Joe's. Now that's an, a portal that's been open for them. Um, going well, to I'm the just co-ops. curious, what's the response then? I mean, like you said, if they... Oh, they, they love yeah. it. Yeah? Uh, they love it. Um, but what's needed for us to keep those kind of things going are more volunteers. Okay. Volunteers are, are really... Um, a essential component of offering any type of senior programming um, because volunteers can help with driving, helping just organize some of these things. Um, because again, uh, senior programs are not the most funded programs. And so we rely heavily on volunteers uh, to supplement our programming. Um, and But the seniors love it. Are you kidding? Yeah. If, if we could go somewhere else every, new every day, they would love that. <laughs> you know. <laughs> with us is uh, Daisy Ball. She is uh, with the uh, BFNC. Um, and they're, uh, she's actually the director of uh, the Hope Center and their senior support services. And a lot of issues here to talk about. The one that you did talk about at the beginning, like you said, 100% mm-hmm. on that survey, mm-hmm. housing, access to affordable housing, which is very it's troubling on so many levels. It's not a surprise, but you know mm-hmm. you, we're hearing 
with rents rising in the city of Buffalo and everywhere for that matter, that mm-hmm. there's a real concern about affordable housing moving forward here, that uh, some are predicting a crisis mm-hmm. ready to emerge. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about how you and the BFNC went about addressing this particular need. Uh, well, uh, we basically said, okay, well, what can we do? And we started meeting again with uh, community partners to say, uh, we want to be able to provide a housing component, but we, it's not just housing. We wanted to build a complex for aging in place. Now, typically, um, what we see in our in our suburbs and whatnot, that there's more land and, and more areas to be able to do those kind right. of things. Um, and so what we found was talking with a lot of the long-term care providers, the nursing home providers, um, the insurance providers, the folks that do this work, you know, what were some of the ways that you all were able to implement your program? programs out in your in your areas. And so uh, luckily, you know, they they were willing to sit down with us and have those conversations. And so we said, if we were able to do an aging in place in city of Buffalo, what would it look like? Mm. And the difference is, is that we didn't necessarily want to be the, the provider to do it all. We recognize what we're good at, right? We're good at providing um, support services and then finding the right partners to link with our seniors. And so um, out of that, what came out of this project was we wanted to have continue our activities program, make it a structured day program, but then get a healthcare partner to come in and, and provide healthcare, get uh, a partner to come in and provide um, uh, financial assistance and entitlement assistance, get a partner that would be able to provide transportation and, and someone that would be able to assist us in developing housing for seniors. Okay. And so, you know, there were a lot of folks on that team. Our executive director, Shonda Redfern, will speak more on that when you bring her in okay. next week. But, um, <laughs> Out of that, you know, it was the the a Westminster Commons was born, and so uh, eighty four unit apartment building uh, that has access to all of these other services that are available in the West Westminster Community House, which is right next door to the apartments, and so seniors are able to access all of our different services at the Westminster Community House, and you know, and they're not separated from their families. Uh, what we found as we were going into the surveys, especially as seniors had increased need for long-term care supports, um, they would be separated if they in- ended up in the hospital and had to go to rehab. Typically, the rehab facilities are not in Buffalo. They're out in the suburban areas. If um, they're low-income families, transportation could be an issue. They're separated from their families. And so one of the things that we wanted to do was work with Erie County, work with City of Buffalo, to try and make sure that our seniors can remain in community where they came from okay. with all of these additional supports. So... Um, that's what this iteration of aging in place looks like for us in partnering with the Community Health Center of Buffalo, in partnering with um, Erie County Senior Services, in partnering with uh, uh, Mari, uh, Mari Fox of Soul Candy Yoga, in partnering with... I just have to jump in with this. Mm-hmm. You, you dress a certain way today because it's yoga day. Oh yes, it is yoga. <laughs> yes, I, I, I'm in my my yoga wear because today is Wellness Day at, at our center, and so yes, we will be having yoga. So today. the seniors will be participating. In oh, yoga. and they love and and we call it Soul Candy Yoga because it's all soul music, and you know they they I have to say they get down. I see <laughs> I see walkers getting flown uh, strung to the side. I see seniors who you know who may have limited mobility. All of a sudden, it's like they don't need their cane anymore. They're able to to do certain things. And so that movement is so important. And so, 
you know, we're really excited that Mari um, has has just embraced us, and she's just a fireball of energy, and right. she and she she gets our population, and and they look for her. You know, they're like, it's yoga day, we're ready, <laughs> and 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 that's what we want to do. Sure. You know, our 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 day program is BFNC Life Services, BFNC Life Center Services, and that's what we're about. We're about increasing longevity with our seniors, increasing the quality of life, enhancing their experience, knowing that there's still so much more life to live no matter what stage we're in. Uh, also providing caregiver supports, which is huge. You know, our caregivers do so much, and a lot of times seniors are caregivers to one another. Right. And so making sure that we have programs and supports in place to be able to address those concerns in a number of different ways, that's what we try to do. You must have you must be getting to know a lot of the seniors that, oh, that yeah. come in. Do you worry about them? What what what, uh, what are your concerns for them? Oh gosh, a lot of the concerns is again affordable housing and rents. Um, even with fixed incomes and and reduced rents, you know, especially with the increase of the inflation that's happening now, things cost so much more. So seniors are making tough choices on whether or not they're getting their medication or they're buying food. Oh no, and. No one should have to make that choice. Right. You know what I'm saying? That that hurts me when I see those kind of choices having to be made. Um, not being able to participate in a program. To give you an example, you know, we went last night to go see Tina, and we, uh, uh, through through funding, we were able to cover a majority of the cost for the ticket, but there was still a nominal cost of $20. And it's a struggle for some seniors to even pay that. And, uh, you know, I finally just had to say, you know what? No, nope, we're going to do this. And so uh, seniors being able to go and participate and not having to worry about how they're going to pay for something, you know, those are the things that concern me. Their health, being able to have access to specialists that are not in our uh you know, outside of their uh, reach, you know, by trans limits of transportation, you know, have bringing more f services to them versus trying to get them out to other services elsewhere. You know, those things are important. So, you know, finding the right community partners that want to engage with us and help us that to me, that's the most important thing. With us uh, this morning is Daisy Ball. She is with uh, the Buffalo Federation of Neighborhood Centers, and uh, specifically she's the uh, director of the Hope Center and their senior support services. And uh, you were talking about the um, uh, Westminster mm -hmm. uh, Community House, mm -hmm. a historic part of, of Buffalo. They, actually, if you, read, if you go to bfnc.org, mm -hmm. great history about settle, the settlement house movement here, uh, the how it touched Buffalo and how it has transformed mm -hmm. throughout the years. But it, it's an interesting element of this that that community house is well over a, a century old it is and, and yet so it's still functional it's yes it's still functional and we are really if you've ever been to the westminster community house it's located at 419 monroe street we are looking for you because we know there are a lot of rich stories about the westminster building uh -huh. um you know every day i hear seniors saying i used to come here and play basketball i used to come here and do uh knitting with my mom i used to come here and do other things and in fact Yesterday, I met a senior for the first time who said that this center raised her, that the, the, that she literally, when, when she was not at home, she was there participating in all the things that were offered by the Westminster Presbyterian Church, um, who founded the Westminster um, Community House. Um, in, in, the, in the 80s, Westminster Presbyterian uh, uh, and uh, the, the Neighborhood House Association merged, and that's how we became BFNC, and that, that's how we became in possession of that building. And 
And so I'm just thrilled to say that, you know, the, the core legacy of what the Westminster Community House was, which was to serve the people, provide opportunities to congregate, come together, whether it was for meals, whether it was for meetings, whether it was for uh, after school programs, helping youth, helping seniors, helping community. That's what we're still doing now. And so we're really excited um, uh, that a lot of different things are coming online there. And the Westminster Presbyterian Church is still very much involved with us. And so they actually funded our kitchen, um, our new commercial kitchen, which we are so thankful for. A lot of great meals are coming out of there. So, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it's coming online. And so, again, you you know, you all should check us out wherever you are. Come and check us out. You know, uh, Daisy, though, your um, your personal story Mm. weaves through the BFNC. Uh, Would you mind sharing with our audience? Sure. Um, Well, I started in 1997. I was 24 years old and didn't really have a formal education. And I was a single mom. And uh, they took a chance on me. They hired me to be the administrative assistant um, uh, there. And uh, they it was the first time that I saw so many people of color who look like me in professional roles and in leadership roles. And so uh, the the vision or value statement at the time of the organization was unlocking potential and enriching lives of others. And I'm truly a product of that. You know, my leadership at the time, they they took a chance on me. They, they encouraged me to go to school. They made schedule accommodations for me to do that. They allowed me when I didn't have daycare that I could bring my daughter to, to work and, 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 and still do my day. Um, and, and, and I've gone on to do some great things. Uh, there came a time where I had to say, you know what, I, I have to stop working so I can really pursue graduate school and, 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 and all of those different things. And I've had some really great experiences and, and BFNC always stayed with me. My core work ethic was developed at BFNC. How so? Because it truly taught me what the meaning of service was. And so when I went on to do other things, it, I always asked, how does the community benefit? What, how do we make sure we're giving back? What are some of those things? And um, as, I, as I went on and, and, and to, to graduate school and worked at UB, I kept asking that question. What, what are some of the things that we can do? Uh, when I came back to community and worked at the Service Collaborative, again, uh, connecting with BFNC, we collaborated uh, to provide services to community. And then, you know, my mentor, who then became executive director, he says, you know what? You, you've gone out here and you've done a lot. It's time to come home. <laughs> we have something for you to do. And, and, and lo and behold, Hold, it was uh, uh, become the director of the senior program at the Moot Center. And what's so interesting is that uh, the I, I came back to where it all began. I was a, a secretary in the basement of the Moot Center. Now I came back and I'm running the Moot Center. <laughs> um, and again, uh, a BFNC allowed an opportunity for me to grow. They developed me in, in that level of leadership, running a department. Um, showing me about the grant writing components, really, you know, figuring out this next phase of leadership, you know, and, and, and our agency invests a lot in our employees. And so I, again, am a benefit of that. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I tell any and everyone, you know, I, it takes, just like they say, it takes a village to sure. raise a child. It takes really a sound mentorship, 
you know, in, in, in your professional career in order for you to get to the next phase of where you need to be. And BFNC has done that. And our new CEO, again, she's a product of BFNC. She's been there for over 20 years. She's done other things, but she was being cultivated in the next generation of leadership. And now she's our CEO. And so, and again, she's espousing those values to new folks who are coming in within the organization as well. Can you reflect on this a little bit for us, Daisy? Um, going back to that, that, that time, you're the, you're the single mom, mm-hmm. you're coming in there. Did you have a, an idea that you could be this? Somebody who does this, went, got this advanced schooling and became a, a director like this and helping so many people out? You know, I, it's funny you asked that question. At the time when I first started, no, I, I, but I saw the possibilities. Okay. The question for me was, how do I get there? You know, and and again, um, when you're being exposed to so many new things, one, you have to have confidence. And sometimes you had confidence. I, I, I did in, in some areas and I did it in others. And that's where mentorship comes in, right? Ah. Because then that's where you get the push, <laughs> right? Like, no, you can do this. It's okay. You're going to You're do it. You're going to do it, right? <laughs> right? But having folks that can help push you and see things in you that you may not see in yourself to be able to get to that next phase. And I have to honestly say, I've been very fortunate in that regard. And I take that very seriously. And I also make sure I'm mentoring and I'm pushing and doing the same thing that was given to me to others and, and being able to provide that opportunity. Um, and, and so what I would say is, you know, BFNC has poured into me and I have a lot of fidelity to my organization. I could say I'm a cheerleader sure. <laughs> for well, BFNC. I think we've got but, that. As, but aside <laughs> from that, um, it also, again, it, it, it shaped my, uh, my values uh, in regards to how we serve in community and especially in communities of color. Um, I also know collaboration is important and working with or- other organizations and like-minded individuals and then also folks that don't think like us and, and, and trying to figure out how we can work together to do good for others. And so, and that can come out in a number of different ways. And so uh, BFNC and along with all of my other uh, career services and things that I've done over, over the years have really shown me that there's more than one way to, to uh, let's say, uh, What's, what's the word I want to say? Improve a light bulb. <laughs> oh, oh, nice. I like that. I wasn't sure we were going to go with that metaphor. Yeah. But then I'm going to ask you this then. BFNC offered you mentorship. You found it. It helped you. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's other opportunities inside the BFNC. But overall, for the East Side community, mm-hmm. is there enough? Is there enough mentorship? Or are there enough that can help people who might find themselves in circumstances like you were in uh, 20 years ago? Well, I I would say there's never enough mentorship, you know, because again, though it's mentorships is also about building relationships, and so uh, you have to have the time to be able to do that. And if you are someone who is giving of your time, sometimes you can be stretched thin, right? So we need more people out here doing that kind of work. And I would say outside of mentorship, it's development. It's leadership development, pulling out the leadership potential in others. And so uh, for me, that was recently through the Oshai Foundation, through the Karen Spaulding Fellowship for Leaders of Color. That really, for me, was a transformational experience. Okay, how so? It it really allowed me to take a look back and, and one, 
uh, they use a, a, a tool called the 360 degree leadership model. And so basically what that is, is they send a survey out to your peers, your, your colleagues, uh, your, your employers, just a number of different folks in, in your, in your circles. And they ask a series of survey questions, things of that nature, and then they go over those um, outcomes with you. But aside from that, it allows you to really think about your purpose. What are the outcomes you're trying to do, not just in, in, in your professional life, but in your personal life? And then what is your process in getting there? And so for me, being able to go through all those things with a group of folks who are just so dedicated um, to community and the, and, the, and the work that they do. And what I was saying earlier before we got on, on, on air was that, you know, when we're doing this work, a lot of times we, we lose sight of our impact, right? We're just, we're getting up, we're getting out and saying, okay, this is what we have to do sure. for the day. Sure. But this allows time for that self-reflection to be able to say, wow, okay, this is what we've accomplished or what I've accomplished. And this is really where I'm trying to go next and always thinking about the what's next and having, having folks that you can bounce your thoughts, your ideas in a safe space to be able to do that, process that out. You know, I'm not sure if somebody put a, a survey like that in front of me, if I could answer the mm-hmm. word purpose. Mm-hmm. What, what, I'm curious, can I cheat off your sheet? What did you put down? Purpose. Well, my purpose is to help organizations increase capacity. Right now, it's within BFNC. You know, I have programs that are getting off the ground, and and my goal is to make sure that we have sufficient funding, that we have uh, 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 we're making the out the outreach that we need to make in order to serve the community who needs us the most. But on top of that, I'm also in ministry. I'm a minister, and for me, it's very important that faith-based organizations also have access to these tools and resources to be able to grow, not just in their ministries, but in helping community. We have a lot of issues happening in our city, and uh, faith-based organizations are increasingly becoming involved in trying to figure out, you know, how do we provide housing? How do we make sure that food uh, uh, communities have food? How do we make sure that uh, our kids have good after-school programs and things of that nature? And there are huge organizations in our city that are doing this work, but we know that there has to be more intentional collaborations around this um, in a number of different arenas. And so um, to answer your question earlier that you said about mentorship, um, is there enough of it? Again, these are ways to be involved. It's not just about traditional one-on-one person-to-person, but it also could be larger organizations mentoring smaller ones as well. So for me, it's about connecting those dots for for folks and and making sure we're all at the table together. So that's my purpose. Yeah, you know, and Daisy, Inside your purpose, you—I uh, think you answered my final question, which is, you know, what does Buffalo need? And I think you—you you summed it up right there. Thank you yeah. so much. Ab- you. Absolutely. Uh, Daisy Ball is the uh, uh, director of the Hope Center. It's part of uh, the BFNC, and uh, she is in, uh, in charge of their senior support services. I encourage you to find out a little bit more about the the history and more about BFNC by going to bfnc.org. A really fascinating historical. I'll look back at to from where you guys started to where you are right now. Uh, Daisy, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you so much. That was Jay Morant with Buffalo Federation of Neighborhood Centers Hope Program Director, Daisy Bell, from November 10th of last year. And we end the show with Jay Morant with Tisha Parker from October 25th of last year. Tisha, so much about your organization we need to talk about. Uh, you've been doing this now for about uh, five years. Mm-hmm. So uh, 
One of the really interesting parts right off the bat, something you mentioned to me, and I want to follow up on this a little bit, that when it comes to minority-led nonprofits, yeah, what, 10% last past a year? Is that mm-hmm. what you told me? Yeah, it's less less than 10% actually make it due to, you know, funding. A lot of people really don't have the resources and understanding of really how much it takes that goes into funding and founding and every sort of position that really is needed and necessary for a successful nonprofit. I mean, when I started, I had absolutely no experience. I didn't know what I was doing. I had no clue on (laughs) exactly what it would take. And it took me four years to even get out of funding it privately myself. So, I mean, definitely the funding and the feedback to understand how to get to the next level is such an issue. So when you talk about how difficult it is, the one question that pops in mind and probably a lot of people listening right now, why do it? (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes you have to ask yourself that question. I I do ask myself that question. But, you know, I, for me personally, it was something that we were raised to do. Like my grandparents always kind of drilled into us how, you know, we're put on this earth to help other people. We are here to grow and contribute to what essentially makes other people better. And in turn, then you're made better and you're fulfilled and you're whole. So for me, this was sort of a path that I wanted to take to kind of start like a redemption journey, so to speak. And then it kind of turned into, I really love doing this. And this is where my heart is, where my passion is. It's given my family a rebirth with our relationships. And it was a way for us to kind of have our glue, especially since it was based off of my grandmother. And, you know, with her passing away right before our first event, it was a way for us to all kind of remain together. So it just motivates me to still build those partnerships and have like that piece of her since she's not here. You know, if you go to uh, the website, which is uh, rootedinloveinc.com, you can read the story. And it's a it's a lovely story about your grandmother mm-hmm. uh, that she inspired this because mm-hmm. of the type of person she was for her community. Mm-hmm. Talk about your grandmother. What was her name? Louise. Louise. Oh, she was such a gem. She was the, you know, grandmother to every person on the street. She was the mom. She was a school teacher. So um, she worked in Buffalo Public Schools and she saw what it was like, you know, to have a lot of kids that didn't have a, you know, family system that was positive. And she was just that light when it came to dealing with each and every person. I mean, it was so surreal to like think about it now. And growing up, it was always normal. You know, she would have all of her former students or she would have random people that were homeless or didn't have any place to go, you know, that maybe didn't have parents. All of the holidays were filled with them coming, them being in her home, or we would show up and you know she would have a random person sleeping in her extra room because that's the type of person that she was so it's just it was such a beautiful way to cement her legacy and continue to get that out to people that you know that didn't know her to still experience her are we seeing does this take us back to a time then perhaps where a street a neighborhood was maybe a little bit different than it is today that there could be these families together that were looking out for each other, looking out for for the folks who um, 
you know, maybe needed a little help or maybe needed a lot of help. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that her home is reminiscent of that. I mean, that was her legacy when she was alive. And now us being located out of her home. On Riley Street. Yep, Mm -hmm. on Riley Street. So we have, you know, families that were still over, are still over there, that were over there when she was alive. um, That is just, it's so cool to see like their generations now and how we've all grown up together, how they still live over there. And to see like her home still representing just being a place that was a safe haven for people. I mean, it it just only made sense to be located there, have that as our main point. It just made sense. It's interesting because, you know, we really haven't even talked about what your organization actually does just yet. And uh, <laughs> But at the same time, I think you've already described it. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're picking up where your grandmother left off in her community. Um, but you got you you know you, you know you were trying to help out homeless initially, mm-hmm. and then anybody who really needed help. Mm-hmm. Now you have a delivery van. You're delivering things, mm-hmm. which of course has become so important for a variety of reasons, mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, what I'm I'm curious about though is um, just how busy you became after May 14th. Man, it was it was truly nonstop. I mean, we had such an exceptional surge from Monday after the shootings all the way until the end of July. Like we're just now able to get our footing where we're able to organize again. We're able to really have, um, you know, a, just a, a standard ground. We're able to well, you're not have just our... a- acting in the moment, trying yeah. to react in the moment. Yeah. Because I feel like, Right after the shootings, it was so reactionary. We had so many pop-ups that it was it was so exhausting, to be completely honest. It was like we're a small staff anyway, and a lot of my staff works full-time jobs. So it was so hard when it came to the balance because it put a lot on, you know, my mom, who is my COO, she is retired, but she was there every single day. If she wasn't there, I was there. And then, you know, we had the rest of our family and friends that work full time that are coming over after they get out of work. And they're there until like 10 and 11 o'clock at night trying to help us sort, trying to help us just gain control. Because, I mean, there was so many donations coming in that we couldn't even get up the stairs. We couldn't get into our location. We couldn't even walk inside. You couldn't open the door the whole way. (laughs) Like it was so much and it was so extremely overwhelming. But now it's so manageable and so much positivity has come out of it. But at the same time, I think it still stands to reason that there's a lot of issues that haven't been addressed. So, And one of those issues is this, I mean, we can call it a lot of different things, but when, when the store, the top store, was forced to close, mm-hmm. the words food desert, food apartheid mm-hmm. became prominent. That. Absolutely. There are people in this neighborhood, if they don't have this store, they have no options. Did you see that? Did you see that at these pop-up uh, markets that you you guys were? Uh, so uh, we saw two different things. Okay. So the first thing I would definitely say is, yes, you do have that over there. You know, that is the only grocery store, but you have a huge amount of the population over there that already was not going to that grocery store okay. because they can't afford to shop in a grocery store. So they're doing their grocery shopping at corner stores or they're doing it at, you know, soup kitchens, food pantries, or at Dollar Tree, you know, because that's where they're getting the most for their money. Okay. It's 
that was already an issue. And then to turn around and now you have the other side of it. You had a lot of people that did kind of take over take advantage of it. So it was people that maybe necessarily weren't in need that were taking it and then they were, you know, reselling it to the we people. We did hear about stories about that. They were true, huh? Yeah. yeah so it, it was very, very sad. But you had you also had the people that were so in need and it was so much desperation that they were going to every pop-up because they want to hoard it because they know they're not going to get it again. They know that after the media turns its back and, you know, everybody moves on, which you saw over there, you know, you had a huge media rush. And then after a lot of the funerals, all of that died down. So you have the true organizations that have been over there that are helping the people. And now there's like a expectation that sometimes is making it hard for people to meet that need because now everything has kind of died down. Right. You're not stepping through pallets of produce to get into your office like Correct. you were for a couple of exactly. months Exactly. So you had that huge influx where, you know, you have donations every single day. You have, st- I mean, our Amazon wish list is linked to my house. I was on first name basis with the Amazon driver because he was coming every day and it was like 80, 90, 150 boxes being left in behind my gate and now if we get two a week you know it's we still receive donations because like we're fortunate and we we have the funding where we're able to you know purchase according to people's needs if we you know don't have the items in stock and we receive such an excess where we're able to still meet the need but I think there's a lot of societal issues that really weren't addressed when it came to this. And it, it so with us still being in the food desert and then the fact that people have the lack of transportation, so they're not making it to these grocery stores anyway. And then you still have the issue of most people cannot afford that grocery store or people still choose canned items over the fresh produce because if you're a lot of people don't know about double up food box or they don't know, you know, that they can get these fresh items. You know, it's it's still so much more expensive, especially after the pandemic, right. than it even was before the pandemic. So if they weren't paying for it before the pandemic, they're not spending their money on it now. I mean, a lot of our clients, too, they're people that work every day. There's people that make way more money than me, but they can't afford to feed their families because they're paying, you know, over in rent Mm -hmm. or you know they may have five children well you have five growing children and that's expensive they're eating you out of house and home and you're just barely making enough to make ends meet so our whole mission is to just offer that that fresh quality produce with our partnerships you know with desiderios or with local farming we want to offer the best of the best where it's free and it's for any and everyone it's no income guidelines we're just taking basic information so we can use that for our records when it comes to the grants but we're pushing the fresh items we're helping with you know hygiene with household items so those are the most expensive things on someone's grocery list if the only thing they have to do is go to the store and get meats you know, that's right. saving them so much money and they can come every single week. It just it's such a a wonderful opportunity for people that really find themselves in need. Like my my grandmother fed her seven children off of soup kitchens. So 
my family knows what it's like to have that struggle where you may not know where you're getting your next meal. Like we were the kids that had hand-me-downs. They had hand-me-downs. You know, my mother didn't have anything new until she was an adult. So it's it's such an interesting perspective when it comes to how we deal with people and how we approach, especially our clients. Tisha Parker is with us on Buffalo What's Next, the founder of Rooted in Love, Inc., and uh, Buffalo helping out uh, those people who need help, and we're getting into that a little bit. And, I, and that when you were talking about, and if you don't mind expanding, mm-hmm. um, about some of the stories of the people who were coming or are coming to these pop-up markets, are you hearing stories? I mean, obviously not everybody's probably going to share everything that they have about their issues, but what kind of stories are you hearing about? What What are the circumstances that some of these folks are going through? I mean, some people just, life hits them. Like we have people coming to us because they lost their jobs after the pandemic and they maybe have taken a new job, but they work way less hours or they make less money, you know, or they can't even make it to a store because of the hours that they do work. You know, there's families that they just have so many people. There was a huge uptick in how many seniors were servicing. Hmm. Seniors that may be living on a fixed income and they turned around and now they have custody or they're, you know, not legal custody, but they have custody of their grandchildren or great-grandchildren because of their family circumstances. So they can't even afford to feed the kids because they didn't intend on having them anyway, you know? So we have a lot of grandparents. I mean, one specific family I think of, like, she has 12 grandkids now that she feeds. And she's like... 12 grandchildren. 12 grandchildren. It's insane to me. But she's like, you know, we're on a fixed income, me and my husband. Like, we can't even afford to feed ourselves. And now we're paying rent. And now we have these kids. Like... You know, they need help with clothes, so we'll send them. We used to take clothes, but now we send them to a partner of ours to get the clothes. Um, If they need furnitures, we have referral agencies for that. So if they need things, like, we have places to send them to, but some people are just a victim of circumstance. Like, who are we to judge? Because you never know. That can be any of us. Like, we could lose our jobs, and we may find ourselves needing help. So how embarrassing is it, you know, to have to go to an agency in general to already not be able to feed your family. And then, you know, you have to present your income guidelines and you t- you're told like, oh, no, you make a little bit too much, so we can't help you. Like, and you're turning them away. Right. It's just such a sad, sad case, and I don't think a lot of people understand that. Um, your grandmother would have understood. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting also about her end of life. Mm-hmm. And the start of your organization. It's quite the, you can call it a lot of different things. I mean, coincidence doesn't, uh, mm-hmm. I don't think, uh, equal that. But why don't you tell the story? So my my grandmother, um, she was diagnosed with dementia and she became very quickly nonverbal. Um, things were really spiraling downhill where she had to be moved from her home into a nursing, nursing home. And... Um, when I started Rooted, it was just 
something that we were already doing together. You know, I we always knew people that maybe needed help. So, okay, I coupon a lot. Let me go and give these canned goods or I'll give away my furniture. I swore I was moving out of my parents' house for like six years before I actually <laughs> did because I kept buying stuff and it was just in their house. But, you know, you just meet people that just may need it a little bit more. And, you know, it just was such a wonderful opportunity when I incorporated Rooted. I I went down. I was, like, running right to her nursing home. And I got there, and I'm, like, telling her. I'm showing her paperwork. And then she says, good job. Hmm. (laughs) She's like, this is wonderful, you know. And she never spoke again, but she passed away right before our first event. And it was it was such a a weird moment for our family because we had spent the summer, you know, getting everything together. We got the house together. We had all these intentions, you know, oh, we're going to do this first and we're going to do that first and how quickly things change and align how they're supposed to. You know, it may not be where it's giving up on the dream, but maybe it's just like timing it better. Maybe it's a later in life. And um, when we got to the point where, she had passed away we were let's cancel this event we don't need to do it and I mean we always talk about when we sit around my family's together like oh we're so glad we we didn't right because that first event I mean we had a community uh Thanksgiving dinner Hmm. and so how we used to do it was we would make all the food so we have four households and we're baking everything we're making mac and cheese I mean it's a full spread and we would make enough to feed about 400, 500 people. And it would take us days. And the first event fed 347 people where they were not only able to have a meal there, but a lot of them were able to take stuff to go. And I remember being, I mean, we were crying sure. at the event because it was just so moving to have so many people there. And there were so many people that were homeless that actually knew my grandmother and when she first started with her dementia, she would wander. So um, they were the ones that would find her. <laughs> so <laughs> it just was – she was an avid bus rider. So she would go and take the bus, but she would get lost, you know, because she was kind of losing it slowly at first. And they were those people that led her back home and always knew where to go and what to say to her to calm her down. So it was just full circle to see them come to us now. And they're sitting at this Thanksgiving dinner and they're sharing their stories. A lot of them we had seen because she always had homeless people in her house. Right. So um, it, w- it was just such a jaw-dropping moment, you know, for our, our family. And it's something that is so pure and sticks with us for sure in our story. Tisha Parker is with us on Buffalo What's Next for another 10 minutes or so here mm-hmm. talking about Rooted in Love. Uh, her organization that has been uh, helping out uh, the those uh, who need help here mm-hmm. in Western New York. Um, let's now fast forward back to to May 14th and just just beyond, and how busy things got. And you told me that your organization went viral. Yes. <laughs> what a time. <laughs> <laughs> For most people, I would say that's a great thing. <laughs> you say it with a like little mix of uh, of uh, both. Uh, I guess pride to a certain extent, but also a little bit of exhaustion because it really um, it stretched you out. It, it really was super stressful. I mean, I'm so thankful. I'm so appreciative because I think, you know, especially when it comes to Buffalo, like this, 
unfortunately, the negativity surrounding why we were getting the attention was so unfortunate. It was so sad. And I mean, we knew a couple of people that passed away. We even had my cousin was in the grocery store when it was happening. I mean, and running out the back. So it was such a scary day for us, especially being located over there. But so much positivity is stemming from it for us. You know, example. Give me an example. We are launching a community fridge partnership with the Meriwether Library, which is right across from the the top shooting. Um, it's it's really taken a mind of its own because they really want to do something with the community. Um, now we have launched a partnership between us, the Delavan Grider Center, Every Bottom Covered, Buffalo Community Fridges, a lot of those organizations that were, we're really doing the work and it's so beautiful to see all of our relationships with each other blossom into something better for the community. It's just, it's really empowering. And I think you know, it gives hope to a lot of the younger people because it's a lot of young people running those organizations. This question came to me as you were talking. Um, these efforts and this this, this spirit, mm-hmm. is it something that was always there inside the black community here in Buffalo? Or is it, is, and is it just getting focused upon right now? I think it was there. I think it's definitely heightened now because of, that negative situation having such a racial component. So I think, you know, it, it it leaves a lot of people feeling uneasy, but I think it's a wonderful time for especially minority organizations to really like band together for the the community. Like a lot of people want to see that representation. A lot of them want to be involved. They want to have that trust with the organizations. I mean, I can truly say like the people that come to us, like, I know they trust us. I know that they love that we don't treat them with judgment. We're anonymous. Like, we don't have, you know, huge sign. It's not a arrows pointing outside right. of our location. So I think having that trust within the community and with the community, it's allowing so much more positivity to flow, at least on our end. I'm, I know – there are, you know, negative experiences, but I don't even want to okay. focus on that because it's, you know, it's just, where does that get us? You know, it's just sometimes things don't work and you move on, you know? Uh, are there the lessons in that, though, that that that, that, that are worth mentioning? Uh, that you know, I think there's huge lessons. I think there's huge lessons in, you know, being intentional with who you're aligning with. I think there's huge lessons in being intentional with what you're putting out to the world especially with this platform right now i think there's you know always going to be a negative stance on every situation but i think everything that's already come from it like that situation was so negative with the shootings that for us like even when we were so stressed i was just like but we have to do this like we don't even have a choice. We have to. We have to do it for our clients. We have to do it for our people. Like, I I mean, even I have family members that come to us that need help. There's no shame in asking for help. And I think, you know, focusing our efforts on the positive where it leads to the betterment of even communication when it comes to organizations working together or when it comes to us in the community we just have to do better for each other and that's regardless of race we we just have to 
Uh, interesting to, about uh, the idea that people are reaching out and trying to help. Um, one real noteworthy one I saw it on your Instagram account, Micah Hyde. Yeah. Of the Buffalo Bills, unfortunately injured and out for the season. <laughs> Too bad in a lot of ways there, yeah. but that's a side story. Mm-hmm. But he came through for your organization. His foundation did. Yeah, Micah Hyde is fantastic. He's such a wonderful person. And um, that team at Imagine for Youth, Tracy, Amanda, Micah, all of them are such beautiful people. I mean, I've I've known them for a couple years and um you know, after the shootings, Micah really wanted to do something where it was a huge statement. He wanted to be able to say he was really giving back and not just like donating to the funds that were set up, but stepping beyond that and meeting, you know, face to face when it came to um community organizations that were actually operating on the east side or you know getting on a call i i have a great relationship with his team over there and tracy i mean a couple weeks ago he he called me up he was the one that told me um you know hey i know you guys are trying to get a delivery truck we're going to be offering delivery after the first of the year but he was like we want to help so even if we can give you know 5000 like what can we do how can we help make it better? And, you know, they are just, they've been so good to us. Michael was the first Bills player to ever donate to Rooted. Mm. So it was something that came so full circle because um, that was back in 2019 that he donated to us. And it was our little prize check. Like we were, <laughs> we were like all like, we should frame this. It came from Micah Hyde. So it's so beautiful to see, you know, years later, we still have that relationship. And um, now the NFL has chosen to match his grant. So it's, it's such a blessing when it came to that truck because now we're able to get ready to service so many more people that really, truly do need it. What about uh, for someone else who wants to help right now? What can they do? Do you have a fundraiser? you have fundraisers? Or what What? Yeah. what, what, what can we look forward to here? So uh, definitely um, we're always accepting donations either in person. We're open every Saturday at 670 Riley. Um, we do have our Give Butter campaign that's live on our website. So that's year-round. But on November 25th, we're partnering with Resurgence. So the day after Thanksgiving, <laughs> we're partnering with Resurgence. We're going to do a jazz um, night, and it's going to be called Rocking for Rooted. So we have a couple local jazz bands and acts coming out where we're just going to have appetizers. We're going to have just a good time, a good theme tray auction where we're able to just pack the house and um, raise some money for Rooted, especially um, with the start of next year. Can uh, folks uh, find out more on your website about yep, that? Yeah, so it'll be listed uh, early next week, <laughs> Monday <laughs> another, morning on our another website. Another thing on your to-do list. <laughs> just what you needed. <laughs> but it'll be, it'll be listed. Um, you'll be able to get tickets, so it'll be a really beautiful night. Um, final question, or one of the final questions we have here. Um, what does the east side need? What does the east side of Buffalo need? What what what's what we talk about what's next? Yeah. What's needed? I, I think truly what's needed is it's gonna be I hate to say it, but and put a focus on it, but it's the money. It's, you know, people that wanna believe in giving opportunities to people that you may not want to deal with every single day i mean we've been yelled at we've been screamed at we've had protests at our events and we still get up every day and those are the people that we want to help the most so i think looking past the negativity right now there's people that are truly so hurt 
and the east side needs so much healing when it comes to the mental health when it comes to just the compassion when helping i think it's it's crucial to just even if it's feet on the ground volunteering with the organizations that truly don't they're smaller us you know a lot of the other organizations i mentioned they need the volunteers they need the the monetary donations to help keep them going they need the good words and encouraging notes that are sent i think especially um building up that trust again is is definitely needed and that will do it for today's summertime producer picks episode we would like to thank our guests daisy bell and tisha parker if you missed this and you'd like to hear it again, a reminder that this program is a podcast. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts or the Amplify PTPM app. And each episode is available online on demand at WBFO.org. This is WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown, your NPR station. This is Charles Gilbert. Thanks for listening. <laughs>